0: Hey, it's Cheeseheads in Chicagoland—the podcast where Tim runs into the microphone with his, with his mouth. It's the best podcast about the Green Bay Packers. We are coming to you from the beautiful Loop Studios of Radio Paul Sports in the Loop in downtown Chicago. I'm Mike Fleischman. That's Matt Malamsetter. Hey, that's Tim Stevens. Hello. Tim has arrived to be a resident baseball expert because on today's show, coming up probably in the second half, we are turning into Brewers fans in. Wrigleyville, even though we're not in Wrigleyville and I can't think of a better I'm, name for that segment. I'm kinda close to Wrigleyville. Brewers, I got some Roscoe Village. You Brewers fans near Wrigleyville. Yeah, uh, there we go. Is what's coming up where we're going going to take a look at the Milwaukee Brewers and the state of baseball, particularly the, the NL Central, because it's the off season and baseball's happening and I'm feeling feeling that baseball bug yeah. start to like land on my wrist and tickle me a little bit. Uh we took a week off last week because Life was wild. So how are, you, how are you doing, Matt, first of all? I'm doing all right. I'm staying busy. Yeah, absolutely same. We, we had sectional week last week. So mm-hmm. I, was at, I was out four nights doing, doing basketball playoffs, IHSAA stuff. Some upsets have been happening. You've been uh, you've been hard at work at college stuff.
1: Yeah, lots of college stuff, lots of movie stuff, lots of uh, radio stuff. We've got a Radio Paul Sports has a call today. It's the last men's basketball game of the season. The uh, Paul Blue Demons take on the Georgetown
0: Hoyas. Patrick Ewing's coming to town.
1: Patrick Ewing's coming to town. Mac McClung's coming to town. So it should be a, a good game at Winchester Arena. But
0: I am sure by the time you hear this, the game will be finished. Well, was it was it last season that Ewing went a little bit viral? For something he said during a DePaul basketball game about the one leg fadeaway, is thing. that true? Yep. Yeah,
2: I think he uh, there's like a, a GIF of it. It wasn't he saying, "If you don't shoot that shot in practice, why would you shoot it right yeah. now?" <laughs> it, it was it was yeah. at Wintrust.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent a good point. That, that was a that was a fun moment. I'm glad to see Ewing having having some coaching success at at Georgetown. And they're good this year. They might be a bubble NCAA team. I think they're going to make a push in the Big East tournament. They're playing well. Cool. Uh, football, first of all. I'm gonna start with any sort of draft combine stuff. Malum said, you're my, you're my draft guy. The combine <laughs> happened. The combine happened. I'm not the biggest fan of the Underwear Olympics,
1: but uh, we, saw some wow. crazy, <laughs> yeah. we saw some crazy stuff happen. DK Metcalf is a, a superhuman man. He's not a real human. Cool. Who's DK Metcalf? DK Metcalf's a wide receiver out of uh, Ole Miss. Um, he has a 1.6% body fat. Um, That's not enough. That's not enough at all. He looks like he would rip your head off if you asked him anything that is not what he wanted to hear. Um, he ran a he's so he's six foot five, I believe. Um, six foot five, two hundred and thirty seven pounds. He ran a four point three three. That's so fast. That's so fast, blazing fast, crazy fast. Um, he, 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 he blew my mind. He's outrageous. He's crazy. Um. He did 27 bench re- bench press reps, which if I remember correctly would have been in the uh, well into the top half of like offensive linemen um, into like kind of the top like 75 percentile. He also <laughs> uh, he struggled in his agility stuff, but he also had a 40 and a half inch vertical. Um, yeah, he's he's a, a freak athlete and
0: he he's he's crazy, man.
1: He's he's something special.
0: Does this translate to football at all for Matt Caff? Is he a standout at Ole Miss, or is he a man who is large? Uh, you know, he was a redshirt sophomore, so we only really saw him for, like, a
1: few years, and I think only one serious year of, like, play. Um, he was all right. He wasn't anything, like, mind-blowing. Tim's got the numbers for me right now, and he just handed them off. In 2018, he had reception, 26 receptions for 569 yards, five touchdowns. He's... A just a productive, decently productive uh, wide receiver with m- massive physical attributes, and he was he was part of a tandem down there in Ole Miss with AJ Brown. Uh, so it was kind of two guys that they considered themselves like Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry from uh, LSU a few years ago.
0: It's an interesting pick as well because he's a guy who's going to end up not probably one, two, or three on a depth chart if he were to go this yeah. year. Yeah, but. I like the combine because people like this rise to the top. You get little stories that you've never heard of. Yeah. Anyone, um, anyone stand out? I know we've thought about the Packers as far as they'd be drafting an edge rusher and a tight end in the first round is what everyone says. Yeah. Um, I Montez sweat out of Mississippi
1: state is one guy that popped off to me after his combine performance. He was, he measured in six foot six, 260 pounds, um, ran a 4.4140 that set the modern record for defensive linemen. Uh, he, he, did good in the agility drill. So the three cone drill, he ran a seven seconds and uh, in the short su- shuttle, he did a 4.29. Um, so he's, he's, he's got some elasticity. He can kind of bend around these corners. He's quick. He, he can make moves. He's strong and he's fast as heck. He can track guys down from uh
0: sideline to sideline. There's a mock draft that has him going at number six, Yeah, which is pretty far above where, where green Bay yeah. is, but where he, where it happened to fall. That's that would be a possibility. The, the edge rusher position still remains that, that thing where you're just looking for, for someone. I know there's a general process of free agency going on right now. Yeah. As well. Sounds like, sounds like one of our, our cheese heads favorites. Yeah. In, uh, in large Richard Nicholas Foles yeah, is, is on his way down <laughs> to Jacksonville. <laughs> he's on his way uh, to Jacksonville. Um, he'll
1: be, he'll, I think that's a good fit for him. There should just let him throw the football wherever the hell he wants to throw that football, uh, and let him do his thing. Uh, there's another free agent that is the cheesehead's favorite that I think. Hey man, I'm no like so. I'm not like a social media mega mind. I'm not. I don't really get the whole dang thing. But uh, Landon Collins, the other day, uh, safety for the Giants, no longer. They decided they're not going to franchise tag him. They're going to let him test free agency. Um Haha ha Clinton Dix posted a picture of him wearing number twenty one, him being Haha ha Clinton Dix as a Packer. And Landon Collins commented, Oh, thought that was me for a second. Landon Collins also wore number twenty one for the Giants. Been rumored to be interested in coming to the Green Bay Packers.
0: I think Landon Collins coming to the Green Bay Packers. Pencil it We've we've talked about it a little bit. Of course, right now, there's another rumor out today that Landon Collins is also being courted by the lions and that his, his old friend and teammate Damon snacks Harrison yeah. is, is trying to get him to the lions. I guess it depends a lot on where, where Landon Collins mindset is yeah. and I'm not a mindset expert. No, don't know anything about mindsets, but you'd have to think that showing up in, in green Bay is a bit more of a competitive move than going to the lions right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, are it? yeah, you know, this is you know, year year fifty seven of their short rebuilding process. Yep. Yep. To, yeah, you have to trust the trust the process. Trust the process. It'll get around eventually, don't well, worry. Lions are like the only only NFC North team I can make fun of anymore for for their lack of success. Yeah.
2: The uh, Bears still haven't got a Super Bowl
0: win in thirty some years. It feels feel yeah. free, obviously, too. <laughs> I mean I still I still do make fun of the Bears, but not in the way of like like prolonged success and that sort of thing because it's just they they sort of beat the heck out of the Packers this this year and and recent trends have looked pretty good for them but boy Landon Collins would fix a lot of problems yeah
1: oh yeah he's a uh, he's a guy that can come up in the box he's not going to be that kind of deep playing like a ball hawk center fielder type safety he's going to be a guy who can who can man up on a tight end who can man up on uh a uh, kind of a bigger wide receiver in the slot, and take that away, he can come up to the line and be a a consistent like run defender. He's a willing, excuse me, he's a willing tackler. He's a good tackler. He's a physical guy, and he's
0: only like 25. With I think three Pro Bowls
1: uh, and an All Pro. So
0: there's also there's a lot of rumors about Antonio Brown going somewhere because yeah the the Steelers are currently they were on fire last month. Yes, this, this month they're sort of. They've they've given Still up being smoldering. on fire and are yeah, are just sort of smoldering and smelling bad. Uh, someone's dumped their, their beer onto them at this yeah, point. And, someone peed on it yeah, and it's,
1: it's just kinda like stinky and, and, and smoldering, but it's not fully on fire yet. I I'm I, I was and have been previously super on board the Antonio Brown train. I'm trying to I'm kinda of backing off of it a little bit. He wants a full contract extension with like guaranteed money, um, which I think is okay if it's his current contract is just guaranteed by Green Bay. That'd be good, but if he wants a full extension beyond that, it's too much. I think uh, he's he's making his about, current contract keeps him keeps him signed until he's thirty three. Keeps him signed until he's thirty three, and he's at about the same value that Randall Cobb was going to be paid. Sure, uh, so about thirteen million dollars a year. Um, so to guarantee that is not that crazy for Green Bay's. I think that cap. any team picking him up would not be doing so with that. With that in with mind. With that
0: min- minimally in mind.
1: Um, Yeah, I know he has said that he really wants a full like contract extension and restructure. And I, I, I don't think that Green Bay would give him that.
0: I, I, Yeah, and at this point, I love guaranteed contracts, but anything that's paying Antonio Brown guaranteed money when he's 35 or 36, no. No, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> Hard pass on, on that one.
1: Yeah. I, I love guaranteed money, too, but with the way that the NFL cap is set up to kind of penalize uh, anybody that, gives guaranteed money um with like cap down the line and cutting people and stuff like that uh, just makes things difficult on your cap situation and and antonio brown getting guaranteed money at
0: 36 would be rough. we're hitting the bullet points right now yeah so another bullet point i want to get to the Sure. i don't i think this might have happened by the time we did our our most recent last episode but we didn't talk about it the nfl has settled out of court with Colin Kaepernick, Oh, yeah, I saw that in the lawsuit that he and some other players brought that they were blacklisted from the league, mm-hmm. and the NFL had no interest in letting that go into a courtroom. Yeah, which this is a this is one of those settlements where no one's ever going to talk about it, yep, and no one knows anything. But the NFL did not want to fight that, and yeah, the rumors are that the payout was in the 60 to 75 million dollar range whoa yeah that is that is an expensive price tag to keep things out of the nfl considering what the nfl and defenders in this instance were saying about the validity of this case beforehand. yeah yeah
1: what it what it it shows that this is there was definitely collusion to keep him out of the league like it you don't settle for that kind of money nope if you didn't do anything wrong You don't settle for that kind of money just to say, hey, please go away. You you don't have a case, but we just want you to calm down. Like, no, 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 no. They really had a case. Him and Eric Reed absolutely had a case.
2: So how can you, if you're the NFL, right? So they they settle this for that much money, allegedly. Yeah. How how do you go on now? People know that your ownership Mm -hmm. combined together didn't want this social justice activist and Colin Kaepernick in the league. Yeah. How could you, I guess it's just we're the NFL, we yeah. don't care. You can go on just saying like, yeah, we don't care. Yep, we're racist, basically. Is, yeah. that, is that what you're kind of you doing? Are you saying
1: like, how do you look yourself in the mirror?
2: Not necessarily, but kind of like, okay, yeah. we, we settled out of court and we acknowledge that, yes, we did that.
0: Yeah. Cool. That's well, just the modern age we live in? By settling out of court, you present room for doubt in that if you enter something into court and it becomes a matter of public record, i'm sure you've got conversations you've got emails you've got things that players are overheard you've got people willing to speak on record in a court of law and say this happened this person said this to me here's this phone call i had from this person here's this text message we got from this person you know here i'm an agent here's what this owner told me i'm an agent here's what this owner told me when you settle out of court all of that's sealed away so you never have anything on record and it's always up for public debate because of course they're still going to be uh you know the fine folks out there who will say that colin kaepernick was completely at fault none of this ever happened and he just blackmailed the nfl and giving him this settlement and on the other end there are people like me who are going to say like clearly the nfl was at fault from day one and this was a settlement that they reached to keep their business off the streets Yeah, and it leaves it leaves a space where me and that other hypothetical guy just invented can both be right because nothing will ever prove either of us conclusively right or wrong. Yeah. Which is, yeah, which is why that, and for, for Kaepernick, I think it's, it's a great settlement because it essentially, it does recoup him a lot of the money that he would have gotten from his next contract, which probably would have been very large. Yeah. And it also puts him in a position where I think he can he can pursue, and this isn't like a subtle shade. Sometimes I say this about players and that like, I don't know if football is their like driving, driving force. Sure. It gives him enough liquidity and leeway where he can pursue some of the things that he's been very effective at doing in the last couple of years, which is like my favorite kind of activism, the activism that actually distributes resources and money to poor and working people. Yeah. Which is, if you follow him on Twitter or keep up with what he's doing, he does it. it's he he walks the walk and he you know puts it yeah. puts it on the ground where it counts, which is something I really approve of in his case. And it's also, you know, ha- helpful helpful hint for those of you out there if you hear hear someone bad mouthing Colin Kaepernick, kind of keep keep a few things in your back pocket of what the man actually does on his day on his day to day life, and see see if the people who don't like him can find anything wrong with what he does on the daily yeah it's it's a good way to it's a good way to kind of bring people to your side in that you know he he raised a million dollars and bought a bunch of clothes and gave it to people who were you know too poor to afford good clothes so that they can have clothes yeah that
1: seems, seems pretty cool nice right city. there yeah yeah seems, seems all right nice.
0: yeah like we're gonna have an we're gonna have an ideological problem with that <laughs> All right, so that's that's my Colin Kaepernick bullet point. Cool, Robert Kraft. Oh, ooh. the Cheese Man. Jeez. I've heard that words have been said in the studio about Robert Kraft. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna uh, <sighs> serve any of that beverage right at the yeah, moment. No. Opening up a wound. Yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna open that particular wound because no one knows what I'm talking about, which is not a good way to podcast. No,
1: makes for bad podcast. Yeah, yeah.
0: Robert Kraft uh, arrested for for solicitation of... I don't know the exact words, so but, you, like, attending a massage parlor. He
1: was arrested for solicitation of prostitution, oh. so he was... I can give you the whole case breakdown if you want. Let's to. have it. Um, he was arrested for solicitation of prostitution at the uh, Orchid Asia Day Spa in Jupiter, Florida. Um, Jupiter, Florida is kind of a, a wealthy vacation town, kind of a little artsy, weird vacation town. There's a billionaire, like, borough part of it. Um, Donald Trump has a... Uh, golf course there, uh, golf club there. Uh, it's it's a weird spot in Florida, and uh, he did it twice. Uh, one of them was on the day of the AFC Championship game. Um, he showed up, and the uh, investigators were able to get a, a warrant to put uh, uh, security cameras inside and outside of the day spot to track who was coming in, what was happening, all of that. And so they have footage of Robert Kraft being dropped off in two separate Bentleys. One of them is white. One of them is blue. uh, Getting out, going into the day spa. And then they also have footage inside of the day spa of Robert Kraft uh, uh, having sex acts performed with him uh, by women who were were trafficked over from China um, and were... Not allowed to leave the day spa. They were forced to sleep on the massage beds and cook their meals on the back step of the day spa uh, out of the strip mall. They were not allowed to leave. They were not allowed to do anything else. They were, uh, on average, serving eight clients a day uh, with no days off for a year. Uh, averages out to about 1,500 clients in a
0: year. Uh, no breaks. This story has generated the most bad takes that oh. just about any NFL story has generated. My God. I'm not going to give you an NFL take on this. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have like a cheese heads in Chicagoland opinion on it. It is. I, I think it's a comment on perhaps the impunity that many people who are very rich and very wealthy yep. tend to operate and do so out in the open. The Bentley just pulling up. Pulls up, guy gets out, Bentley just pulling up. Goes in for 15 minutes, comes out.
1: Uh, yeah, and if you want to know like how his lawyers are going to attack it, likely uh, he pleaded not guilty, and it's likely that his lawyers are going to try and argue that the evidence was gathered illegally. Um, so after they identified him as Robert Kraft through the security footage, they pulled over the Bentley uh, on the road, a police officer did, but uh, Robert Kraft was not driving, and so there wasn't an actual traffic violation that called for the stop other than just to identify that Robert Kraft was there, which, as I understand it, is not illegal. Um, so they're going to try and get it thrown out on technicalities. Uh, but he, he really did this, um, and we don't really know whether he knew about the uh, slave part,
2: the sex slave part. Um. Even if he did, doesn't matter. Even if he did not know, it doesn't matter, we should say. Yeah, it, he still it, did it. it he still
1: did it, and and the fact of the matter is, is that almost every situation with a spa like this is sex trafficking. And so, hey man, if you're half of as smart as a, if you have half of a brain cell, you probably should have <laughs> known that this was sex trafficking, and that's on you, bro. Take the fall.
0: Robert Kraft, of course, owned the New England Patriots. Who uh, are yeah, so incredibly successful. I I find it. I find it at least sort of odd that I've joked about Robert Kraft being sort of a, a shriveled up old orange raisin. Yeah. Very, kind of very recently. And then he finds himself in this, in this situation. And oh, the, uh, the NFL ownership, don't let them, don't let them plead ignorance or, or poverty when it comes to getting certain things for no. players, because it's, it's pretty clear, that at least Robert Kraft just hadn't had absolutely no idea that he would just get randomly arrested for doing clearly illegal things. Yeah. This is more of a societal comment in that, like, you know, if, if you want to find out, like, you know, the people for whom the, the alternate wealthy justice system applies are the ones who are going to tell you that they think that it's real because they're the ones who act with impunity in, in this kind of situation. I'm just complaining about like class stuff now. Yeah. No, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, this story has very little to do with football, uh, but it's just a uh, just a matter of you know, here's here's I guess my bad take is that there's there's a definitely like, there's always been a villain air around the Patriots. Yeah. And that they have they have too much money, they have too much corporate sheen. There, their quarterback is, is a weird robot man. He's
1: just a crazy person.
0: Who would like to talk to you about like his all-yogurt diet or whatever he's <laughs> doing.
1: <laughs> Where he, he sleeps in a certain set of pants that he believes gives him powers. He sleeps in his power pants? Yeah, he sleeps in his TV-12 so, power pants. Is he six? Yeah, no, he has like, a clothing brand that it, like, is supposed to like, rebalance you.
2: Oh, you're being serious, uh, right? Uh, no, oh, not I'm not joking. Brand. Oh, thought it was joke. Uh, yeah, it's
1: TV-12 no. sleepwear inspired by Tom Brady. Comprehensive approach to wealth health and wellness. It's supposed to make you like more flexible.
0: So it's like those copper bands except their pants. Yeah, except their pants. <laughs>
1: except they're like sleep and workout pants made by Tom Brady.
0: I would wear the pants if he actually made them.
1: If he like himself. Yes. Yeah. No, I would too. Yeah. I would support that. Like, would did you
0: know these pants were made by Tom Brady? Tom
1: Brady spent his entire off season <laughs> making three pairs yeah. of pants. I hope you buy them. <laughs>
0: he has a loom.
1: Um. Yeah. Pliability. Uh. But these are, these are just things to make you more. Tim, pliable.
0: I want to bring you in on this for a second. Um. Because you've played baseball, and I've noticed that the things. Baseball is a superstition sport. All sports are superstition sports, but you see a lot of like this, like copper balance and like the necklaces, <laughs> and like those those little superstition fads really catch on in baseball. And I don't know if you want to call yourself out, but have you ever had like a, a super like a superstition thing that that you do or wear <laughs> oh man well two things i i had the necklace it's called fighting oh yeah, yeah,
1: yeah
2: i had fightings too definitely had them they looked cool but at first you're like oh these are good for me those were
0: like those like two color braided looking mm-hmm. necklaces that everyone had on for about four years there yeah,
2: yeah some players still wear them but at this point i see them more as an accessory and when people like the umpires would make me take them off i'd be like but why like i can't take it off i have to have this on i also was a socks guy and not in the sense of Dirty socks. I have to wear the same pair, but same pair dirty. I, I thought say. you meant white socks guy. Oh, no, 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 no. Psych- oh. Chicago forever, either way. Um, however, I was on a team where we were purple in, in high school. So we started 0 3, and I was in the purple socks. So I said, I'm done with this, black socks. And we won out of the season and we won a championship from there on. So that kind of confirmed in my mind that some things the, the are. Socks matter? Some things yeah. work. Yeah, and they the universe yeah. operates in a certain way because those purple socks once i i put them in the drawer we won every everything after that so yeah. i'm i'm a believer of that although i don't know how the validity and how true those those things are obviously it's just a weird baseball player thing
0: it's 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 mindset and i'm trying to think there was a i had a i had a t-shirt that i always always wore when i played music mm-hmm. on stage i'd always have I'd always have my dare, uh, to resist drugs and alcohol shirt underneath anything right. else that I had. Yeah. I was a real sarcasm is not a sense of humor, but like I, tri- I dare? tried, uh, the black shirt with the red print, the lion or whatever, it. the, you know, the like the dare programs that we're talking about. Yeah. Oh. This was an older one where okay. it was like the printing was in red and, and then underneath it in white, it said dare, dare to resist drugs and alcohol. I think I still have the shirt somewhere, but. Yeah. That was me substituting sarcasm for a sense of humor when I was, (laughs) when I was in my early (laughs) twenties, that's been known to happen. But I I love the idea of the superstition because I had it just as much in that, like, if I didn't have my dare shirt on, if I didn't remember to take it to the gig, then I I wasn't going to play as well. I wasn't going to feel right. Yeah. I
1: had, uh, I had plenty of superstitions. I was, I, I, I am, I am in, <laughs> I am in paper. I was, I was, I was named the athlete of the week in my hometown paper one week when I was in high school and playing the baseball. Uh, and there's a quote in there that I uh, would drink a Mountain Dew before every single game. <laughs> I would, I would drink a full 20 ounce Mountain Dew before every single game. If we had double headers, I would get a Mountain Dew during the break and chug that Mountain Dew before the game. Um, <laughs> I found the article. You found the article? <laughs> Good. Good for you. Here's Matt. <laughs> it's a uh it's a cell phone picture That's... of a uh my senior picture which was printed off. I, I don't know a, I, I don't know, a, know exactly. I,
0: I don't know how you do it, Matt, but you look older in that picture than you do in your student ID picture. Oh yeah,
1: no, I look like I'm seven in my student
0: you ID. You are picture. you are like okay, you occasionally just like Benjamin button it around. <laughs> look at those two pictures. <laughs> you look
2: young younger there, yeah. yeah.
0: It's the haircut thing. Yeah. Who let Doogie Howser into <laughs> DePaul? What is happening here? Uh,
1: yeah, man. So I also I also had a very strict thing with socks and undershirts. I would not wash my undershirts for weeks on end during baseball season if we were on a winning streak. I one time I didn't. I we were on an 18 game winning streak. I did not cut my hair. It got down to my shoulders. It was disgusting. <laughs> um, <laughs> thankfully, we lost and I was able
2: to cut it. <laughs> um, yeah. No, superstitions are real. A lot of these articles, I'm a little disappointed. They're they're behind a paywall. The Athlete oh. of the Week one. I got one right now where it talks about Matt. Uh, is Dahl, is he your coach? Yeah, Mike Dahl. He says, Matt is a good hitter. He's a little guy, but a feisty hitter, and he'll be in the leadoff. <laughs> he puts the ball in play. Yeah. There you go. High yeah. praise. High praise. He, he Mike Dahl just won uh,
1: Coach of the Year for his, his conference in uh, NAIA baseball. He's, he's, oh, he got like bumped yeah, up now. Yeah. He was our, he was our Legion coach. And then he became the assistant coach at the uh, Presentation College. And then a year later, he was the head coach. And then uh, they had the best season in their uh, school's history. And uh, he
0: won coach of the year and they won the conference. Feisty. Yeah. Matt Mellum said, he was a feisty guy. That's what <laughs> was. I'll back that up. Yeah. There are bits of your history that keep coming out. And of course, we like all, all of us <laughs> have this. There there every once in a while I learn I learn a bit of your history and I sort of just stop chewing <laughs> and <you're> like what <laughs> at that moment and find myself going what you were a you were a professional amateur yo-yo guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to the World Yo-Yo Championships when I was an eighth you, grader. Yeah, you were a youth <laughs> you a didn't professional
1: know that. youth yo-yo <laughs> yeah. yo. No, I was a really really good yo-yoer when I was a
2: kid. Do you still yo the yo oh, now? I can still rock can you the yo, 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 baby. Why I have I still... never seen this?
1: <laughs> I don't do it. I, I keep that sh- I keep it locked <laughs> away. Oh, that, is, that is in a case in my closet. It does not come out. We have someone at the station who is a speed cuber. Yeah, yeah. I'll bring it I'll bring the yo yo I'll bring the yo yo sometime. I'll throw it in my bag, I'll bring it through.
0: I would argue a yo yoer is more impressive. It should be more impressive. Trust me, it's pretty cool. I know I knew a kid who was a speed Rubik's cuber. He is. Uh, he has since become like a mechanical engineer. And, oh my gosh! <laughs> and done a lot of things. You know, one of those guys who can think five moves ahead yeah. in all situations. I could. Ne- I've never in my life solved a Rubik's cube. Me neither. I don't know how people do it. Cause they said they always say there's a formula to it. But yes. What formula? You're turning a cube around in different directions. How do you figure this out? <laughs> I don't know. It's far too complicated for for my <laughs> my, brain, my brain. to understand. <laughs> I was too busy like trying to figure out the right schedule to wear my dare shirt on. <laughs> I wish I st- I think I still have my dare shirt, but mine was
2: red. Mine was red. Oh. We didn't do dare South Dakota. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no. They just they
1: just trusted us not to do drugs. So yeah. <laughs> they just said you're in South Dakota that you don't have access. <laughs> they don't drugs don't exist here.
0: I respect their process. I've never been to South Dakota, so I can't vouch for whether or not drugs exist there. (laughs) Uh, I think I actually have driven through South Dakota, but it's,
1: it's, it's very boring. Drugs also do exist there. If I remember correctly, one time I was in my AP lit class in my AP lit. You took that too? Yeah, I took AP lit. I loved it. Uh, My teacher told us that uh, in the early 2000s, there was a, 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 like a study done by like a late show on like what the most druggy high schools in the country were and we were top 25 <laughs> What? like we were we were the most druggy high so I don't know what the okay. metrics are for that I don't know
0: what that even means well high school high school drug abuse has changed so much since I was in high school oh my god you know, yeah. I, it, I was in high school 20 years ago and yeah. I, one of the things that our high school had was one of the highest rates of teenage pregnancy in the nation wow. Wow. like once for a year and then we had this reputation of being like the sex high school (laughs) which i can guarantee you we did not earn that reputation (laughs) through any of at least through any of my personal experiences however um we know it was i was i was around drugs in high school but now you hear about like kids in high school who are like yeah i you know i first saw heroin when i was 14 you're like heroin what happened or like everyone's you know Everyone's can get like Xanax and, yeah. and, and uh Ritalin and like I did not see a pill as yeah. a drug until like after college. Yeah. I just and it was not from like any attempt to avoid drugs. <laughs> I just uh, but it just didn't exist. The, the, yeah, the, the change in culture around that stuff yeah. is is amazing.
2: So well, at Lane Tech, it's right off the uh, the river and my river knowledge is so subpar that I couldn't tell if it's Chicago River, but I would assume so. Um, Yeah, North Branch, Chicago River. Okay, so right there, there's a a park, Clark Park, and it's kind of a woodsy, and you have to go, it's not like a park district park, even though they call it one, but there were kids when I was in high school who furnished Clark Park in the woods. They put carpeting, they brought couches, and this was their place to smoke weed. They, a whole, like, I'm not talking five kids, I'm talking like 50 kids hung out in Clark (laughs) Park and smoked there because... They used to do it right outside the McDonald's across the street. That's right. A a group of 30 people. McDonald's. They would just gather. and (laughs) live right there. (laughs) You would stay away because you're like, oh, I don't want to go near them. Those 30 kids. They're scary. (laughs) They're doing drugs. And then eventually the police would come and they got in trouble. So they
0: shipped it to Clark Park and furnished it and hung out there. I got to admire that ingenuity. Yeah. I really like that. That's just. All all these weird attitudes around, like, being young have, have changed a lot in that, like, I, I had a job at a, a fast food restaurant when I was a teenager, and we smoked in the break room. I was, like, 15 years old, and, like, <laughs> yeah. they did not care if you, like, smoked cigarettes in the break room. Yeah. Like, there is such an odd shift of things, and, like, teenagers shouldn't smoke. No. I think in certain ways we're much smarter than we, we were yet. back then. Yeah. Now they they have the the jewels. Yes. Yeah.
2: And it's a it's an epic epidemic where kids jewel in school. Yeah. And, oh no. And it's they go into the bathrooms and rip their jewels in the bathrooms. And. One jewel pot is equivalent to 20 packs of cigarettes in terms of the the nicotine and it's
0: it's insane. Is it that much? I thought it was one, I thought it was just one pack. I thought these were like yeah, I, I figured that was scare quote stuff. I actually quit smoking using like vaping, so I'm and I don't vape anymore, so I'm I'm generally in favor of of vaping, but I, I find it interesting that yeah, there's always something that people are scared of in high school. Yeah. What podcast am I doing right now? I don't now? know. Not <laughs> twenty packs, twenty cigarettes. Twenty, 20, 20 cigarettes. Yeah, all right. Cool. cool, cool. Twenty yeah. packs would be insane. That would be, <laughs> that would be so, so much. Be nicotine. Nicotine. <laughs> How many cigarettes are in a pack? Like twenty. Twenty. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. Your lungs would be crippled. Whoa. <laughs> I <I'd> like. <laughs> Four hundred cigarettes, <laughs> real quick. <laughs>
2: times 4 <laughs> 1600 per I mean nicot- odds.
0: nicotine is generally pretty cool. It's 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 like it's ca- yeah. caffeine can give you more of like a intense rush. Yeah. But like a little nicotine is a nice nice little yeah. stimulant. I'm surprised yeah. it hasn't wormed its way into like beverages. Oh, yeah. At this point what, we're going to. Coca-Cola. I think Coca-Cola
1: is coming for that nicotine buzz. Yeah. Maybe. But the soda
0: I, what used to have cocaine in yeah, it. Yeah,
1: yeah, the soda that used to have cocaine in it is just looking for anything that can give you a little a little a little shake, a little buzz. I I've been hearing about like THC beverages that like some companies are starting to reach out into like the, sure. the cannabis world and bring in some of that stuff. Like the Pepsi Cola.
0: That like the THC Yeah, this is this is the newest the or newest thing that way. I cannot Yeah, we're we're in a we're in a weed culture now where like yeah. yeah. Like straight laced normal people are like, would you like these edibles? And I'm left, I'm I'm left here going like, I don't I don't take drugs anymore, and I'm just left off going like, as soon as I quit, it just became the it most normally became normal, socially acceptable thing to do. <laughs> where the mayor is just like, we're gonna do bong rips, and then <laughs> pass this legislation. I'm left going like, oh come on, <laughs> we need to take a break on this show, slightly regroup ourselves, and talk about baseball. Uh, we are Cheeseheads in Chicagoland the podcast where we don't talk about football at Try all. As
1: hard as we can not to talk about
0: football. But we have a Facebook group where you can keep track of our, our episodes coming out at the Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. We're on Twitter at Cheesecogoland. The account will be coming back when the Packers come back and do anything remotely worth talking about. I'm on Twitter at MP Fleischman. Uh, my day job is talking about sports for the Regional Radio Sports Network. Uh, we're covering Indiana high school basketball and possibly hockey and also baseball at the moment. So, uh, yeah, go to rrsn.com. If you like me, Mel, i What do you do?
1: Uh, I do a lot of podcasts and stuff. I, I am the program director here at radio to Paul sports. Uh, and I, along with Tim have been, uh, starting the podcast network here at radio to Paul sports. We've been putting out a, a lot of quality content with some, uh, we did, we did uh, one podcast about the uh, Wintrust Arena experience and whether students really enjoy it. It's the big kind of behemoth monolith. Do they? In the uh, Paul culture. You know, here's the deal, Mike. Yeah, they really, really, really do. Oh, okay. Everyone we talked to loved it. It's, okay. I mean, it costs a lot of money, but we can't take it back now. It's stuck.
0: I got the worst hot dog I've ever had in my life there once. Whoa. Yeah. We had
1: good burgers. I loved my burger, and I also was, I went for $2 beer night great! They, yeah. had a, they had a McCormick Place Pale Ale that was brewed specifically for McCormick Place. thought it was really nice and uh, an easy-drinking, kind of orangey, citrusy pale ale. It was great. Um, we also do uh, Ryan Whitry, who's our general manager, releases a podcast that's just about soccer, and he explains it, um, different soccer subjects, uh, things that have happened. And uh, coming up next on the Podcast Network, we've got a sports ball, where I'll be breaking down the... Uh, history of the basketball, how the game has changed as the basketball has evolved in manufacturing, and uh, hopefully cover a little bit of the uh, NBA and FIBA expansion into Africa.
0: Tim Stebbins, we just sort of started this podcast by assuming that you were here, and, and I, mm-hmm. I said your name, but uh, I, you've not appeared on this podcast before, I just sort of take <laughs> for granted yeah, that no. like, we know who you are, so who the hell are you, Tim Stebbins?
2: Uh, Tim Stebbins? I'm the radio assistant GM here, and I, I write for NBC Sports Chicago. Catch me on Twitter at Tim underscore Stebbins with two Bs. All right.
0: Uh, there, there were people singing hymns somewhere in the <laughs> courtyard outside yeah, no. of where Bizarre. we're recording this podcast. I thought it was just a, a beautiful little background. If you heard that on the, on the tape, this isn't recorded on tape, by the way. If you heard it on the tape, just enjoy the hymns. We're going to take a quick break to we'll talk about baseball when we come back on Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. It is Cheeseheads in Chicagoland, Land, best podcast about the Green Bay Packers, and the best podcast that occasionally, once a year, we'll talk about baseball. I'm Mike Fleischman, and That's Matt Mellum-Setter. Sure. I brought Tim Stevens in today because he knows more about baseball than Matt or I. Oh, I do combined, probably. Yeah. No, I don't know about that. But i I wanted to I wanted to have a little bit of a baseball chat about the upcoming season because spring training games are going on right now. We're coming around to baseball. Also just nothing worth talking about is happening in the football world <laughs> as we proved from our last segment in which we talked about the changing mores of high school students. But um, Tim, the National League Central is a really good division right now. And one of the reasons why is that there are some rather evenly matched teams who are all experiencing either periods of rebuilding towards being relevant or periods where they have been extremely relevant for the last three or four years.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think if we dated back to maybe two years ago, um, you would talk more about tanking in baseball being prevalent more so than teams going for it. And this kind of had to do with the, the Royals and their breakdown, their teardown to get to a World Series championship. Obviously the Cubs and then the Astros Uh, and 16 and 17. So it it seemed like more teams were going to subscribe to that model. And what we've seen now is in the National League, the American League is pretty much the polar opposite. But in the National League, more teams are are making moves to be competitive, which is a complete 180 from what we thought baseball was turning into, where if you don't think you could be first or second in your division, you are probably going to tank. And now that's turning the other direction.
0: I, gr- I grew up as a very big Brewers fan you know, I'm, on my dad's knee listening to the Brewers ball games. Uh, Brewers and their their broadcast teams and Bobby Euchre are a big reason why I do the work I do right now. I'm still a Brewers fan, but I fully admit I've fallen off of active baseball fandom for a while. The Brewers playoff run brought me back to it. But I'm coming from a place where probably from 2000 to 2006 or seven, I listened to more than half of the Brewers games on radio every year and attended somewhere in the neighborhood of, of three to seven games in person a year. So this is, yeah, I, I was, I was pretty deep into it. I knew, I knew everything that was going on. I have a baseball vocabulary, but, uh, the Brewers set an interesting trend in that last off season. They went out and they got themselves Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Cain and immediately turned their rebuilding project into a contending project, Yeah, which boy, it's something that baseball needed because they're, uh, they're a small market team. They're not a mid market team. I don't know if you guys ever spent much time in Milwaukee, but it's a small market yeah. kind of place Yeah. that decided to spend the money that they had on players and they reap the benefits by becoming sort of nationally relevant in a way that the Royal, you know, very similar to the Royals and their, their move to, uh, the world series in years past. And I hope we see more of that in baseball because I think there is sort of a a status quo right now in baseball that preaches austerity and like save money. Don't, don't buy the free agents. Yeah. Like let Bryce Harper sit out there and ask for $60 billion (laughs) and his own planet and not give it to him. But I think the brewers have, have shown you that if you combine a good manager along with some high priced, good players yeah, that without, a major superstar, you can still contend. Yeah, and I think also,
2: the Brewers found themselves a major superstar without really thinking they were getting one. Mm -hmm. Christian Yelich was a a product of Miami, the Miami Marlins just blowing it up, and this has kind of continued. I don't think anyone on the Marlins from their opening day lineup in 2017 is still there, and I think also Christian Yelich was a really good player. He was someone that in the 17 to 18 offseason, I thought the Cubs should have been more interested in than they were, but the Brewers weren't thinking they were getting a Barry Bonds-type player, and then they proceeded to get Christian Yelich, who delivered numbers similar to Barry Bonds' 73 home run season in the second half last year, so they didn't think they were getting a big superstar, but they got one, and now it only helps you in the future. They didn't pay for a Bryce Harper player, but now they have the room to, in addition to having one that they didn't think they were getting in Yelich, Maybe go and get another one. For all we know, yeah. who knows what they
0: might do the next couple of years? Their farm system is top heavy. It's very good right now. You've got you've got of course Yelich and Kane are still there. They didn't they didn't really lose anyone all too important from last season. Keon Broxton goes to the Mets in favor of another outfielder and a bullpen prospect, but they bring in Yasmani Grandal on a one year deal. This is. This is them just purely taking advantage of the market and the reticence to sign longer-term deals with slightly older players. And that Grandal is is thirty year old or somewhere around that range. Yeah. So he doesn't get like a five-six year deal. He gets a one-year deal for less than twenty million bucks for a, for a guy who's good behind the plate and good at good at bat as well. And well, the the and yet with all these players and like all this depth, you still hear. The Brewers in the central they're predicted to finish anywhere between first and fourth, which not only do you have like a good exciting team to watch in Milwaukee, you've got parity in the division that they're in, and this could be a good season, of course, like we're in Chicago, so everyone talks about the Cubs who uh, that was that was what really got me back to baseball is the yeah. Brewers knocking the Cubs out of contention last year. I enjoyed that a lot, but uh, you've got a situation where the Brewers and the Cardinals and the Cubs, yeah, and maybe the Reds are all all good enough to finish above 500 yeah. and contend for uh, Central or the Wild Card. Yeah, and especially I think the Cubs, like the Cubs
1: and the Brewers, I think are going to duke it out, fight it out, and the Cardinals are always in that race. And NL Central is always always tight and tough and competitive and and, and a bloodbath.
2: Yeah, USA today uh, take it with a grain of salt they they do projections every year they actually think Cubs Cardinals and Brewers are they project to finish all three eighty nine and seventy three that's just kind of an example of wow, it's going to be tight and it could go any number of ways. I mean Grendahl, I know we kind of touched on it a second ago he had offered a, a multi-year deal that for whatever reason I don't I don't I feel like either the money wasn't there or something maybe the team but yeah. He had a four-year offer, and he didn't take it, and then he wound up getting $18 million for one year. Yeah, but this guy is, you had a one Eric Kratz back there last year, yeah. and Eric Kratz is, you know, a, a 38, 39-year-old catcher. He's a good leader, but you, now you get, as you said, a, an offensive player. He's hit 20 home runs in three straight years, and a, a good defensive catcher. You're kidding. A, for a team that won 96 games and their lineup is was already deep. You get rid of the the weakest hitting position in, in baseball in the catcher and add yeah. one of the better hitting catchers. It's just the, the team that won 96 games, it looks better than what they had last year because it's really the same team outside of that.
0: And you get a guy who has already proven himself working with some of the better pitching staffs really assembled this decade in the Dodgers. Of course, he's caught a lot of good good pitchers there. The Brewers do not feature an ace pitcher outside of, you know, maybe Jimmy Nelson comes back this year and is relevant, but their rotation, I've heard, I've heard it described in a preview article as being some guys, <laughs> and that is what their rotation is. They, they have some guys, and then they have three good bullpen guys, but you've got a good catcher who has already proven like that he can get good games and call yeah. good games for very good pitchers, and if you're looking at the Brewers, they're probably going to start somewhere in the neighborhood Of probably eight to eleven people are going to start games this season for the Brewers on the mound. Yasmani Grandal as as a guy who's already a proven proven catcher and a good backstop and a good game caller just it helps that as well too. It's a smart move.
1: Yeah, and that's something you can't like quantify or put a number on. Is like the effect that a a veteran Presence and somebody that has a lot of experience behind the dish and knows what to do and how to scout guys and how to call a game and how to work pitch to pitch to pitch to pitch, uh, how that can impact like a, a young and kind of always changing pitching rotation.
2: I'm actually a big fan of Yulish Strasin, though. I think he, time and time again last year, was getting less credit than he deserved. It was always like, oh, Uli Strasin's on the mound today, especially when they play the Cubs. and no. I feel like a lot of fans... Took that as, oh, this is a guy that they should light up. And no, he deserves more respect than that. He had a great year last year. He's got good breaking pitchers and 350 ERA. I mean, this guy was, he came from San Diego of all places. So people kind of thought the results wouldn't translate. But time and time again, he proved that, yeah, he's a good pitcher. And I think, who knows what he does this year, but I do think that's one of the better pitchers in the division. And granted, the Cubs have an older starting rotation. The the Cardinals rotation was always, I feel like, more talent, more potential than what their outcome was. You have guys like Michael Waka who really just haven't panned out yet. Adam Wainwright's older. But oh, yeah. Yulish Tassian I would say, is a top five pitcher in the division right now. And he came out of nowhere. Who are your top five in the division? Well, another one. like uh, People would say Chris Archer, right? But Chris yeah. Archer, I think, is the same way. In the opposite sense, actually. he People thought the potential was always there. And he didn't really put it together. Um, it's weird because it's a lot of players out, like, I would definitely put Sha on there, but I would almost struggle to put the list together after that. Yeah. Just because I'll throw Mike, I'll, I'll throw Mike Les in there from okay. St. Louis, but you have like the Cubs, for example. Yeah. Who? The Cubs this year are, the team is banking on internal improvements, right? Mm-hmm. From across the board offensively. But at the same time, you have a rotation that's a year older. So, okay. You have names. Hamels, Hendricks, Darvish, Lester. Those guys you would expect to to perform. They performed in the past. But at the same time, you could th- say, well, they're a year older. I could see them going the other way. So it's harder for me to say which one of those, if any, could be in the top five. It's it's the potential is there for one of those at least, but Michaelis and Chastain is where I would start. I wouldn't start with the Cubs, but I think that's kind of selling the Cubs short because a lot of people project the Cubs to take a, their pitching staff to drop off the face of the earth and I don't, I don't see that being the case. So I think you have at least one of those Cubs in there.
0: Okay. If the Cubs are under 500 at the all-star break, does, oh uh, does Joe Madden lose his job mid season?
2: I think the city explodes. I I would say that I, I don't see that happening, but wow, that's a, that's something I haven't thought about until you just asked that. I haven't, because I haven't that's thought such about, a hot
0: take question. That's, that's a, a sports talk question and a half right there. Cause it's March. uh yeah. But I'm, I find myself looking at this division, going, you know, this is a division where your all your projections, no one really has any of these teams projected above a hundred wins. Most like four teams in the division are projected somewhere between eighty-two and ninety-six wins. Um, someone's got to be under five hundred yeah. <laughs> at the All-Star break, yep. and a lot of that I think depends on whether or not the lineups or the rotations at that point have been able to be solid and be consistent. And the Cubs are the, the rotation's really proven that like these are older guys. They are a little bit fragile. Uh, you, you Darvish has some sort of disappearing thing going on. Like we never really totally understood what happened to him last year. At least I didn't. It might be lack of curiosity on my part. He's supposed to be feeling good now this year, right? He had this injury that another
2: Cubs pitcher, he's more of like a, a 4A player, Alec Mills, had where you feel something somewhere. In, in Darvish, it was the triceps, but it's really something in the elbow, and it's really hard to diagnose. So he went out in May. He on the DL. He was ramping it up late July to come back, and they still couldn't diagnose it. He goes to a rehab start, and he removes himself from the game, and then they finally figured it out. So... I am one. You, Darvish, said the other day, I feel the best I've felt in my career. And that's something that you're in spring training, people always say, Oh, I feel great. Yeah, yeah. Wow. But I I think that's from him saying that, I take that and I hold it more sincerely than in general because you, Darvish, last year seemed like he could retire and he was okay with walking away from baseball. You, Darvish, had zero confidence. He even said, I'm afraid, in a sense, he said, I'm afraid to go to L.A. and yeah. be in the bullpen because of what the fans might say to me. Last year, mentally, he was definitely off. And this year, I think he he's more comfortable in Chicago. He had he got ridiculed, and now he's more settled in. I think he's definitely, he's healthy. I think last year, mentally, he, he clearly wasn't right. And I think that's with the offseason, with the time off, I think he's definitely back. But if you come out of the gate and struggle, like he did eight starts, he had a yeah. 4.95 ERA what happens then? Because this guy has the track record last year and the year before of, you know, mentally not
0: being mm-hmm. as strong. The Cubs are going to be paying him for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> they, they owe him a, a ton of he's, money. He's,
2: he's going to be around. And there's there's two ways to look at this division, too. And I see it both ways. I see, I'm not one, I'm not, I'm not someone who subscribes to the belief that the Brewers are due for a huge regression. Sure. I have these, these numbers here. Last year, five of the Brewers' key players had career highs in in Fangraphs WAR. Right, Yelich, Shaw, Aguilar, Hayter, and Yasmani Grandal, both the Dodgers. Let's, um, uh, being a football podcast, just like what statistic are you using there? That's WAR. So wins above replacement, and to not butcher this, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the the MLB dictionary definition, sure. just so I don't butcher it.
0: Yeah, thank you, because yeah, we're a football podcast. <laughs>
2: So War measures a player's value in all facets of the game by deciphering how many more wins he's worth than a replacement-level
0: player at his same position. So, And replacement-level is assumed to be the absolute perfect median of all Major League Baseball players. Yeah, exactly. So for
2: position players, the number of runs above average a player is worth in his batting, base running, and fielding, plus adjustment for position, plus adjustment for league, plus the number of runs provided by a replacement-level player Divide by runs per win. It's it's a huge calculation, but this is now the stat. So it's like
0: it's your MLB the show overall rating. Yeah, essentially you could. Yeah, yeah,
2: basically. And one thing, this is a weird tangent. Bryce Harper got that big contract. He's had one his best season of WAR was around a nine and a half in 2015. Mike Trout's had six of those already. So we'll see what how much money Mike Trout gets. Yeah,
0: Mike Trout's a oak. So that's a side tangent. <laughs> so <laughs> but the Brewers. Insane like you said, five different players set career highs in that in that overall stat of war. And Grandal was with a different team. Lorenzo
2: Cain had his second best. He had a 6.1 with the Royals in their championship season in 2015, 5.7 last year. So even he had his one of his better years. But I don't think they're due for a huge step back. Yeah. I think Christian Yelich showed us that he's one of the better left-handed hitters in baseball. I think Lorenzo Cain was someone... For the Cubs, the Cubs have this rotating cast at leadoff since Dexter Fowler left. When he was a free agent, I was thinking, why don't you go out and get this guy? He is a hitter's hitter. He is a professional hitter. He puts the ball in play. He runs the bases well, and he's an elite center fielder. Travis Shaw was thrown off third base last year when the Brewers requ- uh, acquired Mike Moustakis, and he, he played second base, and honestly, for the first time in his career, he played it pretty admirably. Uh, he's a guy with 30 home run potential. Mm-hmm. just Aguilar came out of nowhere I think of anybody, he's the one you would see as having the biggest chance for regression just because his track record isn't as deep as some of these guys. And a random 35 home run season, I don't know if you can expect that from a guy that you didn't foresee it. But at the same time, maybe you can. Maybe he just was someone that butted late. Uh, Josh Hader is nasty. I think he's one of the best top two or three relievers in baseball. Mm -hmm. Maybe one of the, maybe the best lefty, but you have Chapman in there as well. Yeah. Um. And then like we said, I, I don't think the Brewers are going to take a huge step back. I think in their case, the thing that could hold them back is that, like you said, eight to 10 guy rotation because you can't bullpen in the regular season. Maybe you can, but it's really unprecedented. And that's what kind of they thrived on in the playoffs. Maybe that's something that they introduced to the game and it's really innovative this year, but
1: we we've seen them we saw the Mets a few years ago trying to do that or I guess it's last year like trying to run like an 8 or 9 man bullpen and try and bullpen it at times.
2: The Rays used an opener quote unquote was yeah. Sergio Romo who is, has closing That's experience. Right. He would start games. Yeah. And the Rays won 90 games that way. Yeah. So maybe it's just something that we're not used to seeing and it's going to be a thing now. Yeah. But I don't see the Brewers
0: their key players that carried them last year. I don't see them regressing all that much. What I think I saw with Christian Yelich, and this is a limited sample size, in that I did I did watch them to close the season, but I've I have not seen more than forty Yelich at bats in in my lifetime. <laughs> but I I thought I saw someone moving to a different plane of understanding of baseball, just yeah. in the way that once once you get there, because it it wasn't a matter of like oh he's just making he's just hitting the cover off the ball or he's just seeing it at the moment like his plate discipline is is just something amazing, like, he just, he just doesn't swing when he shouldn't, and when you, when you throw him something he can hit, he, whether he kills it or not, whether it's out of the park or just in play is another thing, but his, his plate approach is among the best I've ever seen. Yeah, and he, he, uh,
2: in, in the play-in game at Wrigley Field, he, he kind of demonstrated that. We were so used to down the stretch because the Brewers were playing with house money. The Brewers took off in September, a lot of people try to say, a lot of people on Cubs Twitter will say, the the smart people of Cubs Twitter like to think that the Cubs collapsed last year, but it was more, the Cubs had a 15-12 record. The Brewers took the division from got, them. Yeah, yeah, they got beat. The Brewers snatched that thing away, and that was Christian Yelich. It seemed like every game, he was about to hit on a home run. And he almost it seemed like he would hit a home run every game. Yeah, Every time he stepped into the plate, it seemed like, yeah, he's going to go yard right now. And sometimes, he did. And it was like, it was absurd, the pace he was on and the, the the streak he was on. But it came to the point where it wasn't surprising because you expected it from him because yeah. he was at that level. And I just think this is one thing no one talks about. Christian Yelich played in the NL East and he was still a decent player with Miami. But the NL East is the hardest division in terms of travel, I would say, in MLB outside of going from West Coast to Central to the East Coast, right? Because in the, in the NL East, if you're Miami, Maybe maybe my phrase is Miami is one of the harder places to play for in terms of travel. Sure, Your division rivals are Atlanta, Philadelphia, Washington DC, New York Mets, right? Yeah. You have to go from way down there in the, in the, the peninsula, up yeah. the coast. That's a lot of traveling for in-divisional play. Whereas the Cubs and Brewers shoot up 90 minutes on up the, was it I-90? Yep. A 90-minute trip. And you can sleep in your own bed after night if, if you want some of the Cubs players. Your your charter flight
0: over to Cincinnati or Pittsburgh is probably less than two hours.
2: Yeah, so the, the Christian Yelich went from playing in one of the hardest cities to travel from to one of the most convenient. And yeah. for divisional play, especially is my point. And what happened? His home run total doubled. His RBIs, he had 110. Uh, his strikeouts were... Second lowest of his career, not counting his first year when he didn't play much. His best batting average, his absurd on base percentage, his absurd slugging. I don't yeah. think it was a coincidence that his best year came in when he played in Milwaukee. And it's not like he played in bad hitting conditions in Miami, in the dome obviously, but the travel. It's a big field though. It is, yeah, and especially um, I even think I think they adjusted the fences at one point too. I think but, it's like 420
1: the dead center, like it's it's deep, it's it's spacious.
2: Yeah, it's just once you get out of that hard traveling yeah. we forget the human aspect of this sometimes yeah, and i think absolutely. that definitely helped him
0: brewers have craig council as their manager i i am old enough now to the point where i remember players who have now moved into management and coaching council another line another in a line of, of brewers managers who do not run that tight ship they're not they're not disciplinarians they they tend to emphasize team chemistry and such yeah. uh, anyone who's seen council's batting stance knows that he shouldn't be uh <laughs> it shouldn't be their hitting coach from back when he was a player but uh, uh just another another fun guy another guy in that that joe madden mold of like let's yeah. all let's all play some baseball okay skipper kind of thing and it seems like when those guys are on the teams can get very hot but when they go off they're usually the quickest to lose their jobs yeah it's an easy scapegoat, I would say, for mm-hmm. those kind of guys.
2: I, I like the point you made about um, managers that you remember as players. MVP Baseball, did anyone play that? MVP? Yeah. That was oh, one. Of, yeah. I think the best baseball video game of all time. I but agree. you can make a starting lineup from that game, players in that game, who are now managers. And that is absurd to me. Yeah. It shows the trend. And Craig Council was really one of the first guys to to lead this. This I don't want to call it innovation, innovation but... Young managers with no managing experience getting big league coaching jobs, and he was one of the first ones. And it was so successful that it's become such a trend. Yeah, Dave Roberts, Rocco Baldelli got the Twins job. Alex Cora in Boston after did get coaching experience with Houston as their bench coach. Yeah.
0: Jason Kidd, Luke Walton in the NBA. Yeah, yeah
2: it, Ty Lue. It's it's coming to baseball now, and I mean Craig Council Outside of you know Alex Cora with the the, the World Series and the bench coach and Houston yeah. winning it with Boston. And Dave Roberts obviously too. Craig Council's been one of the most successful at it and he he really was on a team in that small market that I would argue it's the hardest of some of these jobs in terms of the guys who have been the most successful.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he's he's always been well liked wherever he went. I mean he played for he played for the Brewers for a little while at the tail end of his career on on some of the teams that were, were absolutely terrible. I, I just want to throw out a few things like especially the, the Brewers in the 2004-2005 in the era. That was a team that had some odd personalities on it that I just want to remember for a moment. I want to <laughs> remember Matt Stairs, oh, yeah. the uh, the beer-bellied left-handed power hitter who could occasionally play at first base or right field <laughs> as long as he didn't have to ever run. Scott Pesednik. Scott Pesednik, Scotty Pods, who went on to win the uh, World Series with the White Sox. Yeah, Jeff Jenkins. Oh, Ben Sheets. Ben Sheets. Lyle Overbay, some of these names. Glendon Rush. Oh. I remember Glendon Rush had actually a fairly decent year, and then the next year he came out left-handed pitcher, starter, sort of an innings-eating kind of guy, like your third or fourth guy. Bruce tried to use him as a second, uh, kind of second in the rotation guy, and he just melted. He melted and it was one of the saddest things that i got to see through the course of a season of glendon not making it past the third a lot i was felt pretty bad for that guy um, brooks kishnick a bullpen pitcher slash power hitting pinch hitter <laughs> the brewers All tried right. for tried that classic experiment sure, of yeah. uh, you can come in, mop up some innings if glendon rush gives up 12 in the first three but also you can put them in uh, put them in swing in late fences. innings and tell him to uh, swing russell Brannion. another uh, another guy swing away
2: third
1: baseman
0: yeah
2: i I remember these names i
0: just want to remember i just want to remember baseball from that era just a little bit ben sheets the guy who could never quite get himself healthy yep um of course the guy who uh who who kind of split that was jeff jenkins and that he was kind of hanging around he looked a lot like brett Favre. yeah jeff jenkins yeah um Curtis Laskanek. Wow. They're, uh, they're closer. <laughs> trying to remember another, uh, there was another relief pitcher's name. I don't remember who got into a loud shouting match with Davey Lopes on the mound when Lopes came to get him because he was, <laughs> he wanted to bring in like a different pitcher. And, like, no, yeah, I forget who this pitcher was, but he was just, Furious about the idea of like being pulled out of the game. Like you're a relief pitcher. This happens to you like the most often thing. This happens it's, to you all the time. This, this happens, is part of your yeah, job. It's like it's, you have breakfast as many times as Davy Lope comes to get the ball from you. Uh, I also saw Randy Johnson hit one of his uh one of his, I believe, two major league home runs. Wow in in Miller Park. One of those it was late in his career too, and I thought I was really happy to like see Randy Johnson pitch. In person, yeah. And he goes yard, and he guess, went yard in yeah. his first at bat. It's <laughs> like, all right, all, all right, I'm, yeah. I'm here for I'm this. Okay, <laughs> let's do it. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna follow baseball a bit this year. Good. I've, I've got the I've got the feeling for it again. I wanted to, want to get a few a few baseball opinions, and hopefully, if you're listening to this for football, consider consider also liking the Milwaukee Brewers, a good baseball team that is fun to watch. I don't have much else for, for this episode. Uh, we took a break last week. We'll, we'll probably wander back into the studio at some point to continue recording, uh, podcasts about the Green Bay Packers. Nothing's happening right now though. So stay, stay with us on, on our Facebook group and our Twitter for when these sporadic episodes are going to come out. Tim Stevens, thank you for knowing something about baseball. Thanks for having me on. It was fun. Absolutely. Um, we'll be back when we're back. Follow us, uh, it's Cheese Cogoland on Twitter. Yeah. I'm at MP Fleischman. He's at Mellum Setter. You are at you're at Tim underscore Stebbins. Tim underscore Stebbins with two B's. <laughs> and until until we come back, what should people do, Matt? Stay cheesy, baby. All right.